I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. For some reason, Spotify is playing. And but can you hear should... him in this? No. Are we supposed to? Yeah. Hello and welcome to a very cosmic, out there episode of 3013 Perishing with astronaut, <laughs> space explorer, cadet, <laughs> cadet Sophie Lyons, Ooh. an alien, Clara Gavna. <laughs> so 3013 and Perishing is brunch table chats. Lifting the veil on women chatting. Girly chats. That's what we are. That's what we're here to do. And today we're going to, we're going to outer space. So more on that later. But first, I'm a bit actually spaced out after that show. We've just recorded our interview. And the two of us... I'm exhausted. I feel like, you know, when you go to a museum or something... Or we've or, done an exam. You know that tiredness? Yeah. And your brain is like, has opened up and I've I definitely dusted off parts of my brain that haven't been used in a while. And I just feel really out of it. But almost serene. Yeah. I feel calm. Calmly overwhelmed. I'm just like... Why? I I, I wash my hands with this. (laughs) Because it's too much to digest. So let's just motor on. Yeah, let's just... Because everything is pointless, I think, after that. You wouldn't... Okay, just pre-warning, you wouldn't want to be having an existential crisis. Oh, if you're hungover or not in a good place. Or stoned. Maybe wait till you've sobered up to listen to this episode. Wait till... Yeah. We go in deep, we go in hard, we go far, far, far away. To a galaxy far away. <laughs> yeah. And back. So buckle up. Orbit. <laughs> many, many times. Into a black hole. <laughs> back into deep matter. And back to Earth. If you don't get it, we're, u- <laughs> we're using space lingo. <laughs> yeah. So let's just kick things off. With our doors and chest, what we're loving and hating each week before we get any more cosmic. So, Sophie, what are you loving this week? I know you're not going to like this one. Okay. I have only just watched JLo's doc <gasps> okay. last night. Mm-hmm. Thoughts? Wow. Okay. She is such a power bitch. Mm-hmm. I, I already knew she was. Mm-hmm. I thought it was amazing. She's so like go get him. She's so for women. Mm. She looks unbelievable. Oh, really much so, yeah. What the message she was trying to put into that halftime performance was extraordinary and mm-hmm. she just kept pushing for it. I liked the way you saw a bit of the kind of like kind of an, she'd get annoyed at business stuff. side and kind yeah. of fighting for what she believes in, yeah. Yeah, her kids and everything. I thought it was amazing. Ben Affleck was only in it once. Did you not tell me they cut all of Aid Rod out and then added Ben Affleck in at the end? Or was that someone else? Yeah, yeah. You get, you get slapped in. Like, it's it's not at the end, sorry. It's at the middle. But like For like 10 seconds. But you see, Ben Affleck wasn't there. I know. Because like, it was all recorded. So it's called Halftime. It's all about her halftime performance show. Um, oh. And that year of like Hustlers and the Oscar nomination. So like, that's when she was with A-Rod. Like, she's only with them. I'd say they had to chop so much of that out. Oh, he's blurred out in some of it. I saw a blur and I was like, is that A-Rod? It's his, he- it's his head shape and that stupid haircut. I thought it was really sad when um, when she didn't get the, was it the Golden Globe? She didn't get the Golden Globe and then she didn't get the Oscar nom. But her team were in the thing. Yeah. And then she, she came back and you could tell she was just so deflated. Yeah, because she, because it's like, it's not just her, she's the the top of the mountain but like she's standing on the shoulders of so many people who tried to get her to that point so you must feel like you failed them she said that yeah it is sad she was just like I felt bad like for them because and all the work they did yeah oh I thought it was amazing I did no sorry I watched it and I was gripped to it and I did enjoy it I find it hard I was trying to look at it without my sceptical PR lens of all of this because there is a lot of like it is quite clunky in the sense of like A-Rod is blurred out Ben Affleck is just like plopped in the middle and all of that stuff but I think and and you know when a, a document any kind of musical documentary comes out where it's 
from the person's side, it's always going to paint them in a good light. So it's like JLo as a mother, JLo as a dancer, JLo, Jenny from the block to JLo the businesswoman. And then, you know, I was trying to like, remove all that when I watched it because I did really enjoy it. I didn't really understand its direction. I found like it goes like, here's her in her history. Here's her now. Here's her at the Oscars. Here's her at uh, one year ago. Here's her at Super Bowl. It just, it, I found it flowed very strangely. I think maybe because they were like trying to... It felt a bit scrapbooky, but at, at its essence, I actually did think it was really good. And I think it's definitely wor- worth a watch. I love any of that behind the scenes. And like, I thought it was... Where her, she's wearing like no makeup and tracks. Yeah, and like cooking like Thanksgiving dinner for her family. With and, like, in her pajamas. And like her parents look about five years older than her. Mother is absolutely terrifying. Lupe. Yeah, she's class. And like, I didn't... I never really... I, I, it was great to see her dad. You never hear about her dad. You just hear about her dad. Because her mum's so scary. Probably, yeah. And like the way she's one of three sisters, like I knew none of that stuff. Point of information. Her sister won the lottery a few years ago and won a ton of money. Why would you still be doing the lottery if your sister's Jayla? Well, I suppose you're not Jayla. That's incredible. Uh, it was cool seeing like her houses and I did think the NFL thing was like there when she was really angry about like they're arguing the over. Yeah, but they're arguing over like minutes and the fact that like Shakira and her herself obviously got on really well, but like they could have e- equally, well, maybe JLo a little bit more so, have held that Super Bowl performance on their own. The fact that they were pitched together just showed a real lack of confidence from the NFL. So I love how they didn't shy away from giving out about the NFL. Loved that. And the fact that they were both going like, okay, well, we have to come together and make this wor- work in some capacity because that's just the decision from the powers of B. And... I did feel like in the and the performance like I was welling up watching it and like the way the Emmy her daughter comes out and as you're saying like the cages of all the girls and and then knowing the backstory of how they recruited all the girls it was really oh, amazing. My God, those little dancing girlies! I know. Oh my God. Yeah. I thought that was so breathtaking the way they were dancing when she goes into the school and they all have their hands on their hips. Why don't we dance like that? But I think that, no, it, it, it's definitely worth a watch. But what the one thing I found really like, what was the ending? And the ending, and it goes into like her, it basically prints up onto the screen her CV and like JLo's global brand is worth X. She's had this many billion streams on Spotify and Apple Music and blah, blah. And then it goes into like her philanthropy and it's like this quick clip of her supporting, like women. investing in women entrepreneurs. And I found that bit very odd because the ending in itself is kind of like she finishes Super Bowl, then one year later she's singing at the inauguration. And I thought that was just like a really cool way to end. And then it goes into this like, here's just a little bit that shows her. It was almost like, is this a are you scouting for investors? What is this? I thought that was kind of weird. It kind of sullied the emotion of the finish of the halftime, the inauguration. I thought that was just a bit odd, but I did enjoy it. I think it was good. You know, when she's like, this land is your land. This land is my land. And then she goes, para todo el mundo. Hello. What does she say? Let's get loud. Para todo el mundo. Let's get loud. No, she sings. She's like, let's get loud. She goes, let's get loud. And you can see like George Bush. Like, Why do I recognize that? I I loved it. Yeah, it was good. It was clunky, but good. Rudderless, but good. What's yours, Adore? My Shador is I have fallen down a rabbit hole of one of the drag queens on RuPaul's Drag Race, Trixie Mattel. She was in one of the earlier seasons and has just catapulted to stardom. I am obsessed with her. She has a podcast and a YouTube series with another one of the drag queens, Katya. But Trixie and herself is her own. Like she's like she's makeup brand. She has this new TV show called Trixie Motel, where it's is like she, she American. She, yeah, she has like a like quite a sixties vibe. She looks like a Jetson, or a, even though I know Jetsons were set in the future, but like a very much like cartoon sixties vibe. And she is honestly, and now I'm rewatching the All Star season that she was in, and everything she she's just so funny. I'm just obsessed. And everything she does, I'm like trying to consume as much content as I Oh, I love when you have a new like girl crush. 
It's Trixie motherfucking Mattel. She's so funny. I haven't had one in ages. What is your test? I don't have a lot to test. The only thing I kind of thought of was yesterday I was in um, London Fields. Mm. And there's just like a lot of dogs around there. And I'm just getting more irritated that I don't have a pet. I not, think. Not much to complain about. Can I real talk with you? That is, a, grass is greener. No offence to any dog owners. But if you're a busy young professional working and living in London... I feel like a cat or a dog is the last responsibility you'd want. I, want I can barely manage myself. I really want an animal though. Like I think a cat I could deal with. You, could you don't do... have to go home to cats. No, but there's also, you know, there's like, what's the website called? Mind My Doggy. Borrow My Doggy. Borrow My Doggy. Anyway, it might scratch the itch for you. Yeah. Or if you've loads of new cats in your place, you could say, hey, can I mind your cat? Do you remember that one staring at you last week? So in last week's episode, I talked about how cats hate me. We left and Sophie walked me to the door and this cat was eyeballing me. She couldn't stop giving you a filthy. It was, and she, she had the look of her that she was about to pounce, about she, to attack. She'd look at you and then just sort of glance away and then be like. She could smell my fear, she could smell my hatred and she had a point to prove. She had, and I, I was like, I bet you now when I walk down this stairwell, she'll be at the other end I waiting for me. I was hoping she did that. You would have heard my scream from the other side of the building. I really want a cat. Okay, anyway. What's it depends, your... James, you have to get it by James, not me. He's not the boss. <laughs> Absolute blame. <laughs> What's yours? My nature test is in, I suppose, a nature vein as well. I was eaten alive by three mosquitoes. Eaten alive. Three? I have sweet blood. <laughs> I think I do too. Look at this. Oh. Look at this. It's on your guns. And it's on my <laughs> guns, ruining my gun show display. Now, I have some to show you, but they're a bit low. So just don't think that I'm mooning you. But they... Oh, bum. They're on my bum. They're like near the crack. But no, no, there's some above. <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> Can you see? God, you have a wonderful ass. I didn't show you my full bum, but... No, no. And I, I, like, I scratched them so much, they were like bleeding. They were fucking insane. Then, so when it happened, and then I was going to bed the next night, I, the, I, the three fucking culprits, dum-dums, were flying around and I was able to kill them, so it's fine. Your bum is a weird place because usually it's on How a, they get in a there? joint. What's that called? A vein. A, a, Not a hinge. Yeah, where your vein, like, you know, like uh, where they take your blood. What's that where called? Where you uh, do some heroin. <laughs> <laughs> like, he got into my, under my duvet and into my pyjamas. You're making me itchy. Oh, so yeah, just testing fucking mosquitoes. Piss off. The heat is hard enough to deal with. I do not need fucking mosquito I'm loving this heat making me itchy I'm already itchy swollen and hot I don't need to be more itchy the feeling that swollen gives the human being like the emotional feeling is yeah. so catastrophic <laughs> it is like you never feel uglier The NASA James Webb Space Telescope has produced the deepest and sharpest image of the distant universe to date mm-hmm. I saw this all over the place the photos are spectacular they're delicious they're they look fake they do look fake and and what they show us I, I i understood what i was seeing as much as i didn't understand what i was seeing i'm not gonna lie i didn't understand what was happening so there, there's parts of the photos that you, you're seeing like different galaxies all in the one photo and then you're seeing like five galaxies around a black hole and then there's another photo that to a relaxed eye would look like a mountain range. But then it's actually a place where loads of stars are born. Oh my God. It's where you and I were born. What? Where loads of stars were born. Oh yeah. <laughs> that photo you showed me. It's spectacular. Yeah, it really is. It's out of this world. <laughs> so we were looking at these photos pretty dumbfounded and perplexed. So we wanted to get a professional to chat to about it and to explain to us in basic bitch layman's layman's terms what the hell we were actually seeing because the articles I was reading I understood the words but the concept was getting further and further away also those articles are always too long yeah and it's like they they make sense but they also don't make sense and it got us thinking about space and time and understanding where we fit within the earth but where the earth sits in terms of our like universe other universes i didn't go into it thinking that did you yeah oh did you 
I was more like, I don't understand a lot of these basic things about space. Yeah, yeah. I wasn't thinking about my position within that. He made me think like that. Though. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. So we are basically. So we've we've gotten on an amazing guest, Doctor Mark Mitchison from Trinity School of Physics in Dublin, and he helped us dissect not only space and the universe, dark matter, black holes, aliens, Area Fifty One. What else? Um, time travel, gra- gravity, stars. But he also helped explain these photos, what they're about, what we're actually seeing, and from when. <laughs> <laughs> Correct. Yeah, so... So we'll just say take it away, Mark. Take it away, Mark, and um, we hope you enjoy. And we'll catch you on the other side. <laughs> Now, you may have seen the dope photos released by NASA from James Webb's telescope last week. Yes, you might think, why is that? These pickies are sensation. Or, wait, is that a psychedelic mountain range? Well, we thought the same, but the conundrum on both of our noggins was, what on earth am I looking at? And why is it supposedly from one billion years ago? Bitch, it's 2022 and this pic has just been developed from before dinosaur era? Alas, we have no idea, so we thought, why not ask a professional? For one episode, and one episode only, we introduce you to Dr. Mark Mitchison, Assistant Professor in Quantum Science at Trinity College Dublin School of Physics. Welcome, Mark. Thanks a lot. Uh, it's really great to be here. Thanks for having me on. Did you like the intro? <laughs> I love the intro, yeah, it was great. <laughs> <laughs> so let's kick things off, Mark. Yeah. What is a black hole? <laughs> Oh, okay. Good question to start with. Um, so a black hole, um, they're one of the most crazy objects that we know of um, in the universe. Um, so it's basically what happens if matter kind of gets concentrated all into a very small space. So it's very, very dense. And this basically means that gravity is so strong because there's such a high density of matter that light can't escape the black hole. And because light's the fastest thing that we know of in the universe, it's the fastest thing that can exist. That means that nothing can escape the black hole. So that means that everything that gets too close to the black hole, closer than a point called the event horizon, just gets sucked in and it just disappears and it's gone. To to all intents and purposes, it's just gone from the universe and we can never see it again. And so these things actually exist and they're sometimes formed by stars that kind of collapse at the end of their life. They blow up and then the remnants kind of collapse into this super dense bit of matter and this becomes a black hole. That makes sense. I didn't realize they were caused by stars. (laughs) They're caused by kind of supermassive stars, like not stars like our sun. So our sun is not big enough that it will ever form a black hole. Like the death of our sun will be still pretty dramatic from what I remember. But um, from what I remember from my, you know, when I learned about this stuff, because I should say like I'm not not an astrophysicist, right? So um, I'm telling you this stuff from the perspective of a kind of, interested uh, amateur let's say so really 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 big stars the ones that go supernova which means the ones that they actually explode at the end of their life cycle some of them will leave behind a black hole um, because the matter right in the middle kind of just collapses on itself it's so dense that it forms this black hole and and basically you get this kind of crazy object that just kind of sucks everything around it inside and everything that goes in there is just gone we actually don't we don't you know we don't fully understand what goes on inside a black hole they are basically the focus of a lot of research in physics at the moment um, because we think that they kind of give the clues to the next kind of theory of physics beyond what we already understand. Black holes are one of the main kind of things where we sort of know there's something there that we don't quite get. Um, So people are studying that kind of a lot in order to, I don't know, in order to try and understand, you know, what the next theory um, of physics will be, if that makes sense. Whoa! And but do you, is there theories to suggest that it's getting like sucked into another galaxy, or it's just we don't know? Um, Obviously, you don't. so yeah. I mean, so in I mean, in theory, the basic theory would just say that what there is in the middle of a black hole is something called a singularity, which is just this kind of infinitely dense kind of point of of matter um, that kind of sucks everything in towards it. So when you go inside a black hole. Um, basically what would happen is when you cross the event horizon, you actually wouldn't really see anything change from your perspective. The event horizon itself isn't really like, um, or at least we think it's not, you know, like a wall or anything. It's just, 
you know, it would feel perfectly normal. But once you kind of cross that point, there's no going back and you would just kind of inexorably go in and in. And eventually, I guess you would, you would kind of hit, hit the middle. But, um, but the, the truth is that we actually don't know. We know that there's something about black holes that doesn't quite, um, it isn't quite fully explained by the theories of physics that we have. Sorry. Oh my God, this is so um, mind-boggling. But then is, do we know how many black holes there are in even our solar system? Or there's none in okay, ours? I don't think there's any in our solar system that we know of. That would have probably quite catastrophic effects, I guess, <laughs> we'd be able to detect them. So the black holes that we know of, I mean, actually we've only, I think it's fair to say, we've only directly observed black holes for the first time really recently. Um, so there was this famous picture which came out. You might have seen it in the news because it was it kind of caused a big splash. And it was just a picture of a kind of slightly blurry, kind of orange, kind of halo almost. Um, and that was a picture of the black hole in the centre of our galaxy. So every, well, many galaxies, spiral galaxies, I think, like the Milky Way, they have this huge, huge black hole in the centre, which we kind of, I think, people knew, kind of inferred that it was there because you can just see the way that kind of stars around it are spiralling around. And you, from that, you can sort of infer that there's something super massive there. But um, we actually took the first ever picture of, of one. Well, we, I didn't, but someone did uh, and put it in the news um, just recently. So I don't think, but yeah, I, honestly, I couldn't answer you the question how many there are. Yeah. I mean, I guess we don't know how many there are, but they're not, they're obviously not that rare. I mean, we, we can observe them and we see them um, and detect them in various different ways. So they're out there. Oh my god! Which is kind of scary. I'm, but well, not I like that scary, know, I'm, really. I'm, oh, sorry, go on. Uh, go, no, sorry. I, I shouldn't say it's scary because I don't want your listeners to actually think, kind of feel existential dread from black holes. <laughs> like, you know, you're not going to die from a black hole. Something else will kill you first. So okay. no worries. Oh, right. <laughs> but it's good. It's, it's, it kind of makes you feel so small, in, especially with those mm. new photos from the James Webb telescope that we've, we've all been yeah. seeing the last number of days. How insignificant and small we all feel with what that camera or telescope was able to capture can you do you know anything about that telescope and like what it's actually taking photos of like it's why is it sure (laughs) clara told me it's from a billion years ago 13 billion 13 billion years ago why is a telescope that's been sent out recently enough taking photos from 13 billion years ago right um good question yeah okay so there's a lot to unpack there i mean um (laughs) First of all, yeah, I totally agree with you that those, that photo, like the, this kind of the first deep field photo, the one that kind of got publicized, it, I mean, it, it completely blows my mind when I look at it and it kind of makes me feel almost dizzy from that feeling of sort of being insignificant relative to the scale of things. Because in that photo, you can see like whole galaxies, right? I mean, you look at one point and you can see like a little spiral galaxy there, which is absolutely insane when you think about how huge a galaxy is. But, you know, you're looking out to the universe and you see it's just kind of dotted with these galaxies everywhere. Um, it just shows you the scale of the universe is incomprehensibly big compared to what we know, right? Even our own galaxy is too big to comprehend. So, but yeah, so the, the issue about why um, the, it's actually a photo from kind of a long time ago is related to the fact that light takes a certain amount of time to, to travel, right? Light doesn't travel infinitely fast. It travels at a fixed speed, which is really, really, really fast, but it's still quite slow relative to the vast scale of the universe. So the reason why that's a picture from a billion years ago is that basically, or from how, I don't know exactly how long ago it is, but like the objects that it's focusing on are really, really far away. So it's actually taken that number of billion years for the light to reach us from those objects. So that's why when you, when you look out into space, you're actually looking back in time because by the time, the time that it takes for the light to reach us is a really, really long time basically. That makes sense. Yeah, but it just makes me feel <laughs> so insignificant. We're like one tiny, like grain of sand in like a whole massive desert. But like, to what end does it keep going? And like, wh- and why? <laughs> like, I couldn't get into your line of work because I think I just perplex myself on a daily basis with the sheer size of everything. Yeah. No, sure. Well, that's what actually why I love it because I like having my mind a bit boggled. So, I mean, what I actually do is spend a lot of my time thinking about things that are really, really small instead of really, really big. But that's also kind of mind-boggling in its own way, you know. Mm. But um, totally, I agree. I mean, it is kind of awe-inspiring. Um, I, don't know, I don't know what, you know, the current state of the art um, kind of belief about 
the universe in terms of how far, you know, does it go? I mean, does the universe sort of, is the universe closed or does it kind of, kind of go on forever? I'm not sure I can give a good answer to that question, but it certainly goes on so far that, um, you know, you can't even comprehend how far, how far it goes. <laughs> and the question of why, of course, is a different one, right? That's kind of bordering on religion. So I can give you my opinion on that if you want, but um, yeah, I don't know if, well, okay, so I actually don't think the question of why is necessarily that meaningful. So my own take on it is that humans are kind of evolutionarily primed to ask the question why about things. But the reason for that is that we're social animals. So the question, you know, like imagine that you're, you know, that imagine that I'm a caveman, right? We're all kind of in prehistoric uh, times. So the question of why did um, Clara smash Sophie on the head with that bone thing you know that's a meaningful question right because I'm you know I'm, a, I'm an animal I'm trying to interpret the world around me and I want to understand the intentions of other humans so that I can kind of navigate my social environment but I don't and I think what that means is that we're sort of hardwired when we see anything that we don't understand to ask why and the question why kind of means like what was the intention behind it right you know why did why did you do that but I'm not sure there is any intention behind the universe, you know, and I don't think you necessarily have to believe that there is. Um, it's just something that exists. And the question of why it exists already kind of presupposes that there's some intelligence behind it that had a motive. But if you just drop the idea that there is a motive, then the question of why doesn't make sense anymore. Oh my. You might not find that very satisfying, but um, that's, that's how I sleep at night, so. <laughs> and was the office buzzing when those photos came in from NASA? Yeah, well, we went to, well, we went to the pub um, <laughs> on, on Wednesday. Not, actually, not because of that, but um, yeah, the, the chat in the pub was largely centred around, yeah, the new photos, for sure, yeah. <laughs> Okay, so another question. What are your thoughts yep. on time travel? Cool. So I actually don't believe, and this is purely a belief, I don't believe that time travel to the past um, is possible. Just because I think it kind of doesn't really make sense. I mean, when you start thinking about the things that, you might, that might happen, um, you get into these kind of paradoxes, right? So there's the famous one called the grandfather paradox, which you've probably heard of in some form, which is like, okay, imagine I go back in time uh, and I accidentally kill my own grandfather when they're a baby. So then how is it possible for me to do that, considering that in order for me to exist, my grandfather would have had to grow up, you know, have kids, they would have had kids to have me, and then I'd have to go back in time. You know what I mean? So it kind of creates this logical contradiction. I think, I mean, similar kind of stuff happened in the plot of Back to the Future, right? Where basically kind of Marty goes back. I think he was called Marty, right? He goes back and he starts making changes and then he starts kind of fading away because his whole existence stops kind of making sense. So those kind of logical paradoxes make me think that probably time travel to the past isn't really kind of possible. But um, there's actually no law of physics that we know of that forbids it. So a lot of people have spent a lot of time trying to work out how to kind of forbid this kind of um, time travel to the past. It's called a closed timelight curve in technical jargon. Um, but no one actually really knows um, how to kind of show that they're not, they're not real. We, we sort of don't like the idea that they're real, but no one actually knows um, how to show it. Um, so maybe it's real. Maybe they do exist. You know, maybe I'm wrong. But then there's time travel to the future, right? And that, in a way, kind of is possible. So um, this is... This is <laughs> Yeah, I mean, that's this kind of cool, right? So this is basically related to 
Einstein's theory of general relativity, which tells you that the kind of speed at which your, your kind of time flows, or rather the speed at which time is measured by different observers, depends on how fast they're moving relative to each other. And so what that actually tells you is that if you were to kind of jump on a spaceship and fly away from Earth and accelerate very, very fast, so, so fast that you started to approach you know, the speed near the speed of light relative to people on Earth, and then you kind of did a big loop and you came back. From your perspective, time would be ticking extremely slowly, such that you know, your entire big loop basically would happen in the blink of an eye. But from the perspective of someone on the Earth, uh, this could take, you know, depending on how far you go, this could take thousands and thousands of years. So you could actually travel in, you know, tr in theory, you can travel to the future just by flying really, really fast and coming back to your kind of original destination. And you would basically feel like no time had passed and everyone else would be, you know, long dead. So whether that's a good idea or not is another question, but it, it is possible according to the laws of physics. That sounds really depressing. Oh my gosh. <laughs> yeah, I wouldn't recommend it personally, but that, there you go. It seems like an Elon Musk kind of a project. Right, yeah, a big, a big pointless vanity project. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> oh my um, God. And speaking of Elon Musk, like his vision is to get people and humans to Mars to kind of terraform, mm -hmm. to use a new word yeah. I've learned, a planet. Like what do you think, the re how realistic do you think that is? And like it probably isn't possible in our lifetime, but do you think that's a feasible option? I wouldn't say it's not worth trying to do. I don't think it would happen in our life. Well, it certainly wouldn't happen in a lifetime. I presume it would take hundreds, if not thousands and thousands of years. I mean, there's a very good series of books, sci-fi books by a guy called Kim Stanley Robertson, who kind of tried to really think quite carefully about what it would really take to terraform Mars, which means, yeah, to basically turn it into a kind of habitable planet where, you know, you don't have to wear a spacesuit. You can just walk around and breathe normal air and there'll be water and everything. Um, and it's like, you know, it's, it would require a lot of resources and a fair bit of luck in order to do yeah and it, it would still take hundreds and hundreds of years like many many generations so i think that it's still worth maybe trying to do i mean there's obviously ethical questions about whether um we actually have the right to kind of go to another planet and completely change its entire makeup just for our own selfish purposes but um you know i, I just think it's not like it's not like an alternative, you know, we shouldn't think of that as a, a kind of way of solving humanity's problems because that's just not realistic. Like yeah. right now we only have one planet and if we fuck this one up, we're all fucked. Like we can't go to Mars. That's just, that's just not a thing, you know? So um, I, I, I'm wary of it just because I feel like there's a certain kind of type of sort of usually like billionaire people who just think that all of our problems can be solved by just moving to whatever, moving to New Zealand in some cases, or in the most extreme case, moving to Mars and terraforming it. And, and that's kind of, that doesn't really help the rest of us, you know? No. Oh my, that's also really depressing. <laughs> <laughs> okay, sorry, I need to start giving more upbeat answers. No, no, no. <laughs> my serotonin is going down. No, I'm just joking. No, these are great, because I don't know anything about space. So the falsification theory, what do we know now as a fact that will be disproved in the future? Right. You mean, so you were talking about Karl Popper's idea of science being kind of a sort of um, proceeding through falsifying theories. Is that what you mean when you say the falsification theory? I don't know. Someone or... just told me to ask. <laughs> okay. All right. <laughs> so, yeah, I guess, I guess what you're getting at is the fact that some aspects of scientific progress are related to the falsification of ideas through experiments, which means that we might have a certain kind of conception of how things work, but then we do a kind of experiment that disagrees with that conception or that theory, and then we have to come up with a new theory. So yeah, famous example, like the 20th century was full of examples of, of this in physics, um, because Einstein's theory of relativity basically falsified the idea that time was the same for all observers. And experiments, I mean, experiments falsified it. You know, they agreed with Einstein's theory and not long before. And is, so leading on from that, is there something that you've, in your career, that has absolutely blown your mind or terrified you or something that you're like, oh, the, the general public can't know this because it's too... <laughs> <laughs> like, you'd go like this. <laughs> okay. Maybe I can give two examples. Okay, the first thing is something that I learned, 
which is actually was known when I was born. I mean, it was discovered in the in the eighties properly in the seventies and the eighties. Um, but it's probably the most mind blowing thing that I ever kind of learned. And yeah, maybe a bit terrifying in a way, but I certainly don't think the general public shouldn't know about it. So that's this idea of, of something called quantum entanglement, which basically tells you that, so quantum physics describes really small, you know, the most fundamental bits of matter and energy that we know of. So things like electrons and atoms, the tiny little constituents of matter. So quantum entanglement is basically the fact that two of these little bits of matter, like two electrons, can become correlated with each other in a way that just kind of defies our kind of everyday understanding, okay? So they can be kind of more correlated with each other, they can be more somehow connected with each other than any sort of standard understanding of the way the world works would allow. I mean, in concrete terms, what it means is there were these series of experiments that were done, which were called Bell inequality violations. It's not a very um, easy kind of, it doesn't roll off the tongue, but Bell was a famous kind of Northern Irish physicist who basically came up with this idea of these experiments. And what the experiments basically showed is that local realism um, is wrong. And local realism is just a kind of basic assumption about the universe that most of us would have naturally. And it basically says, it encapsulates two things, right? One, which is that, you know, things that happen over here are independent of things that happen over there. So like, you know, this idea of locality, like this bit of, of you know, the world is, is different from that bit over there. And it's not like every single bit of the world and the universe is just magically connected all the time, okay? So if you don't believe that every bit of the universe is magically connected, then you have to give up realism, which is basically the idea that you exist as an entity kind of separately from the rest of, of the universe. I, I mean, at least I would interpret it that way. So basically, um, quantum entanglement is terrifying because it sort of tells you that the way that the universe really fundamentally is has kind of nothing to do with the way that we perceive it in our everyday lives. We think of ourselves as kind of separate agents. There's you and then there's the world outside. And also, you know, things that you do over here don't affect things magically over there. Um, and that turns out to just be fundamentally wrong at the quantum level, which is quite terrifying, I think, because we don't really understand it. Oh my God. That was a very long-winded answer. It's, but, it's, <laughs> but it's also like how we understand time. Like we just have... The, our clocks and the calendar is that's how we mark time but is it actually mm -hmm. that's just our perception i suppose of how we do and it's just something that's universally understood right is it right right yeah no i mean the, the fact that we think of time the way we think of time is also kind of fundamentally not not correct right that's the other thing that's crazy about um modern physics i guess is the theory of relativity which says you know as we said that time moves fast or slow depending on how you're moving mm. um so that's also a bit of a head fuck and then, okay, I don't know. I mean, I can tell you the other thing if you want. Yeah, I don't yeah, want to yeah. go on for too long. So, okay, I mean, probably the coolest thing that's ever happened in my lifetime in science, uh, in my opinion, is the observation of gravitational waves, which was only a few years ago. It was in 2016, I think. Um, so what a gravitational wave is, it's basically a ripple in the very fabric of space and time itself. Okay, so... Our modern theory of gravity, which is general relativity, tells us that actually, you know, gravity is really um, not a force, but it's rather, you know, the shape of space itself being kind of curved. So when the Earth moves around the sun, it's not because, you know, there's a force putting it inwards. It's because the sun is actually curving the shape of space. And so the Earth just kind of follows this curved space. Okay. <laughs> now, if you accept that, it means that this space can also have kind of ripples in it, right? If you imagine a kind of fabric and if you like poke the fabric, if the fabric is held taut, you're going to get kind of ripples. Or like a pond, you throw, throw a, you know, a pebble into a pond, you're going to get these ripples that spread out. So gravitational waves are actually these ripples in, in space and time. And they were predicted for 100 years, more than 100 years, um, and never observed until 2016 when we actually built a kind of big detector and were able to observe these ripples for the first time. So not only was it cool that we measured the gravitational waves, which are kind of awesome in their own right, but also just the technical achievement of that measurement is one of the most incredible things that's ever happened. I think it's one of the most amazing things humans have ever done collectively, but, just as a technical achievement. Whoa, what does that mean? <laughs> if for those little, to notice those ripples, mm -hmm. does that prove the point against gravity and for that we're all on this big wave? Or like, what if a bigger ripple came along with that affect how we live? 
So we don't expect that those ripples will have much of an effect on our everyday life. But yeah, so the reason for doing the measurement is, is like twofold. First of all, it confirmed, it was another confirmation of Einstein's theory. It was like the kind of the final piece in the jigsaw puzzle. Like we already had other experiments, so we were pretty confident, but this was like the final prediction that had not been checked. And, and, and indeed it turns out to be correct. So that wasn't really surprising. Um, what's amazing about it is that it actually opens up a completely new kind of astronomy. So it's, it's kind of similar to the James Webb telescope in a way, uh, in that it completely opens up a whole new era of being able to look out into space. Um, because these gravitational waves that were detected, they weren't just kind of randomly floating around the place. They came from a very specific event, which was actually the merger of two black holes, right? So there were two black holes out there in the universe, very, very far away. And they were spinning around each other and they eventually collided and went and kind of formed one big black hole. And that was actually, in a way, the first direct observation of a black hole. You know, this was before we took the photo, but we were able to observe the black holes, not by seeing them, because black holes don't actually produce any light, they're black, right? Mm. Um, but by observing the gravitational waves that were produced. So we now have a completely new kind of observatory that doesn't look at light or infrared or radio waves. It actually looks at these gravitational waves themselves. So we've, complete, we've entered a completely new era in, in astronomy um, where we can look at things you know, using light, but we can also observe the gravitational ripples. So it's very exciting from that point of view. I'm kind of in the wrong field, really. I mean, these kind of things make me think that I should probably be doing astrophysics, but it's, <laughs> it's too late for me now. So. It could be your side hustle. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Okay, so we're going to change it up a touch here to, mm -hmm, to sure. aliens. Okay, cool. I have a yeah. two-pronged question. Yeah. What are your thoughts on Area 51? And why are aliens always depicted as uh, more intelligent than human beings? Mm. Okay, so Area 51, I imagine that there is probably some kind of secret, you know, military research stuff going on there. But I very much doubt that there are aliens that have visited earth that's just my own opinion but i sort of think it would probably take so much effort and time for them to do it um you know first of all why would they do it um and then be kind of invisible um this just doesn't really make sense to me but yeah i think the reason why they're always depicted as more intelligent is if you're thinking about aliens you know coming to visit earth then of course they'd have to have very advanced technology much more advanced than our technology um you know if we wanted to go and visit a nearby planet we just don't really have the ability to do that. I mean, or it would take thousands and thousands and thousands of years um, for a spaceship um, that we could build to, to reach even the closest star. So, yeah, aliens would need to be pretty smart if they're going to be flying around in UFOs and abducting people. So I think that's why they're depicted as being more intelligent, usually. That's fair. And, oh, yeah, and you know the way with those um, CIA documents that the declassified ones that came out of all the... Do, the, those UFO documents that come out. Yeah. Like, what do you think about that? Do you think that the government was seeing stuff that they couldn't explain? Do you think that they were aliens? You know what? I actually, I didn't, I didn't read them very carefully, so I probably can't comment very um, in much detail. Like, I, I guess my assumption would have been, I didn't get that excited about it, I suppose, right? Which is why I didn't read them. And maybe that's just kind of ignorance on my part. I know some of my friends did read them and they were like, wow, this is actually some mad shit. So I know that they're, you know, pilots have been recording for many, many years, these kind of unexplained sightings, right? And objects that moved in a way that, that just defied any explanation. But without really knowing much of the details, I still would kind of assume, I, I tend to be quite sceptical about things like that. I would assume it's easier for, for someone to be confused than for, for there to exist, you know, some crazy alien technology uh, with aliens flying around, but just not telling us. Um, that I just personally find that more believable, but that's kind of my own ignorant opinion because I haven't read the details so okay that's sorry mad. can't don't have a more racy hot take for you there well, that's okay I mean did you you're a marine biologist right Sophie I listened to one of your other podcasts oh, where you no, were just introduced as a joke. marine biologist <laughs> that was a joke okay fair no enough. no I'm in marketing <laughs> <laughs> we do okay. we pretend she has a different career every episode <laughs> so sometimes it's okay. like supermodel sometimes it's like philanthropist Vegas showgirl <laughs> I love that you've listened Mark yeah yeah I listened to um I listened to the one about um the kind of less life lessons from going into your thirties, yeah. which was really good. Was good. I really one. enjoyed it. Yeah, yeah it was cool. I mean, and it had a lot of stuff about like 
you know, dating, and you know, that was kind of interesting as well. Mm-hmm. Um, to also hear it from the female perspective, I quite enjoyed that. That's what um, the comments we've gotten. It's, yeah. it's a, a peek behind the veil, a gal chat. It's lifting totally. the veil on how women <laughs> yeah. talk. Yeah. You know, and I'm going to have to try your trick at some point. Don't talk to me like that. See yeah. how it goes down the other way. Yes, Mark! <laughs> yeah, actually, if a girl says something to you, say that. Because if a guy yeah, said that to me, it. I would just die. Yeah, you would. Yeah. Oh, I That's love so that you want to use our tips. Go off. It's such a knowledge exchange. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it really is you give us something and we give you something back yeah it's mutually beneficial so cool. the apollo landing now one of my friends loves a conspiracy theory she thinks everything has a conspiracy theory behind it so the apollo moon landing it seemed to be that there was no footsteps where the astronauts landed have you heard of this okay. theory <laughs> I mean, that sounds like that sounds like rubbish, if, if you ask me. But I mean, I don't know. No, I, I don't know the exact claim. Um, but I mean, I think the idea that they didn't land on the moon is kind of a bit silly, to be honest with you. I mean, so what were they all doing then? What were all of those hundreds and hundreds of people doing? I mean, did they just pay all of them to sit there in a room, twiddle their thumbs and then sign non-disclosure agreements? Like the effort that it would require to, to not do the moon landings and then cover it up far exceeds any effort that would be required to just go and land on the moon. So... I, I think the idea that we didn't land on the moon is just a bit of a joke, really. I think it's it's kind of silly. I, I haven't read carefully all of those conspiracy theories because I consider it a bit of a waste of time. So maybe, you know, if I'm if there were a conspiracy theory person listening to this, they'd be like, oh, he's ignorant. He doesn't know what he's talking about. But honestly, you know, I, if you just think about it at the most basic level, um, it would be so hard to pretend to land on the moon and then cover it up for this time. It's much harder to do that than just to actually go and do it, in my opinion. I'd love to put you in a room with her because she's so fiery. <laughs> yeah, sure. No, that would be interesting. Um, I'm sure I probably wouldn't have very many arguments that would convince her, right? That's the thing about conspiracy theories usually is, you know, once you spend a lot of time going down those rabbit holes, then yeah. you feel very, very well informed in comparison to the, you know, most of the general public who have just no idea what you're talking about. Right. And I think Mm. that probably tends to reinforce people's beliefs in those conspiracy theories because they just they feel like everyone else uh, is kind of ignorant uh, and and then talking to people and realizing they don't have any idea what they're talking about just reinforces that that kind of idea. Mm. Um, It's mad. I still think I could subscribe to it in some sense that like they did that in the 60s. And then like now not many people go up there. Is it just because it's like there's not much point? Yeah, I think so. You know, it's just very expensive expensive and not much point. Um, Like, there was never really much point, right? It was always just a vanity project um, related Mm. to the Cold War. Yeah. Um, I think it, you know, it's, it's, there is, there is a point um, from a scientific point of view um, to space exploration, but to a large extent, that doesn't necessarily, that doesn't need humans in the picture, right? You know, I, I fully, I think we definitely should invest um, lots of money, you know, we, we don't we don't invest that much money in the grand scheme of things into space exploration. And I think it's well worth investing money into it. But the most useful things usually have been unmanned probes, you know, like Voyager, Cassini, all of the different Mars missions. Those are incredible, right? They give us, they, we learn so much about our kind of solar system and our universe from those things. Sending humans up is obviously really cool. Um, but, you know, it doesn't, necessarily add that much more from a scientific perspective mm. um it's just a very kind of inspiring achievement right yeah um, the money's better spent somewhere else well I, I hesitate to say that because i don't think we spend enough money on space exploration and basic research as it is i mean we spend so much more money on things that are really kind of pointless or, or bad i mean let's just cut the military budget a little bit and stop blowing each other up mm. you know there's so much more money uh, out there that's spent on completely pointless or horrible things so i would never say that the money is better spelt, spent somewhere else um when it comes to kind of doing these um these kind of scientific or kind of big you know projects um kind of ideas because the international space station also probably had some kind of political benefit right i mean now i'm really just like you know i'm spitball i have no idea what i'm talking about here i'm not a politician and i don't know about international relations but it seems like a valuable thing to have been done over the last few decades right mm. it kind of fostered international collaboration it was a kind of focal point for many many children and other people around the world who were interested in space and interested in science so i think those kind of big projects are definitely well worth 
spending a bit of money on because I think what their cost is probably quite negligible in the grand scheme of things when you compare to the other things we spend money on, you know, like bombs. Yeah. Do you think something then, like, you know, Red Bull sent someone up? Oh, your man. The guy who did the... free fold or free fell. Yeah. Do you think that's gratuitous then? Or what do you think about something like that? What happened? Uh, they sent him up yeah. into... what? What? Where did they send him to? I don't want well, to say he, space. It was, it, no, yeah, well, it, it kind of was, right, yeah. I mean, he went up in a balloon and did this kind of skydive. Uh, what was he called? Oh, from, like, um, the edge of the atmosphere. atmosphere. Something like that. Like yeah. He, and then he did a free fall. Yeah. But, like, <laughs> he was, was so like, high up. The, I think he had to wear a space suit, basically, right? I mean, he was effectively in space. Like, he went so high up that it was, you know black and stuff like he could probably see the curvature of the earth did he die i mean no no he was he was okay i think he was fine so well i don't know i mean if red bull wanted to spend i mean that was basically a marketing stunt right yeah if red bull wanted to spend their money on that kind of advert then fair play to them you know i mean it's better than just a load of boring kind of posters on the tube i'd say so yeah i'd say go for it why not okay okay interesting and just to crowbar in a question i've always that's been itching at me the whole time we're chatting What's the Big Bang? And, like, does it relate to black holes? Is it the birth of the universe? Because the, with the James Webb pictures, they're, they're saying that the next ones that he'll, they'll be able to get is, like, the cosmic dawn. Mm-hmm, yeah. Which is the 13.5 um, billion years ago. Exactly, yeah. So, um, yeah, so, okay, the Big Bang is a name for, you know, our, one of our kind of, the main current theory for what happened at the beginning of the universe and it comes from this idea, well, it comes from this observation, which is a fact, right? Which is that everything in the universe is kind of moving apart from everything else. So if you extrapolate that back, that means that everything far back in the past was all kind of together in one place, right? And that's what we call the beginning of the universe. And we can kind of extrapolate back and we can see that that happened, uh, yeah, 13 and a half billion years ago, right? Um, so that's called the Big Bang. I think it was called the Big Bang by a British astronomer called Fred Hoyle, and he actually didn't like the idea. He called it the Big Bang as a kind of joke because he wanted to discredit it. He wanted to make it sound silly. But it just it's a name that stuck because Fred Hoyle was very eminent at the time. But yeah, so one of the aims of, of James Webb, as far as I understand it, the telescope, is to try and see, it will see further back in time um, than we've ever been able to see before. It will be able to look back almost all the way back to the Big Bang. Um, and it's able to do that because... I guess, A, it can see, you know, it's got better optics and it can see kind of further away things. And as we've already said, like the further away you look, then the further back in time you're, you're kind of looking because the light's taken longer to reach you. But then also I think it's to do with which parts of the actual electromagnetic, like what kind of things it can see. So what part of the electromagnetic spectrum it can see, which means like what, basically what color light it can see, right? So um, James Webb is designed to observe um, what's called infrared light, which is actually not really light because we can't see it, but it's kind of light that's so, that's a different wavelength from the kind of light that we can see every day. Uh, and so infrared light is is basically like light that has an even longer wavelength than, than red light, which is the longest wavelength light that we can see. And infrared, um, basically that will allow us to see light that was emitted a very, very long time ago. And the reason for that is to do with um, something, it's actually to do with the expansion of the universe, right? So what happens is very, very long time ago, light was emitted by, you know, stars or whatever. Um, but then because the universe is expanding and the space itself is actually spreading, then the wavelength of the light itself also gets stretched out. And so that means that light that would have started out as kind of visible light, maybe it would have been like blue, as it travels through this expanding space, it actually, the, the light wave itself gets so stretched out that it gets shifted into kind of infrared radiation instead. And that's why James Webb uh, is designed to see this kind of infrared radiation because it will allow it, allow it to see kind of light that was emitted a really, really long time ago and got kind of shifted and spread out. Does that make sense? Whoa. My brain exploded. Whoa. <laughs> I have two, I have a statement and then a question. Okay. The statement is Cosmic Dawn would be an amazing name for a child. <laughs> Cosmic Dawn, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Cosmic Dawn Lions. That was the statement. The question. Okay. Is the Big Bang pre or post dinosaur? Uh, very much pre. Okay. Right, so the Big Bang it predates the existence of the Earth or the Sun. 
Gotcha. Um, so, so the Earth is like, I think it's 4.6 billion years old, if I remember correctly. Um, and the universe is about 13 and a half billion years old, if I remember that correctly. No, I think that's, that's right. Um, you said that as well, Clara. I think that's right. So, yeah. So the Big Bang is from whatever, many, many billions of years before the Earth was even around. I think dinosaurs were around until a few hundred million years ago, I think. Right? I might be wrong. 65 million years ago, right? That was the time when the dinosaurs oh, yeah. got Your wiped out. Your guess is better than mine. So I think, you know, dinosaurs like a few hundred million years. Um, Earth is like a few billion years. So that's a lot older. And then the Big Bang is like, you know, three times longer ago than that. It just makes me feel so insignificant to think that like we're here 13.5 billion years after all these planets just started moving away or universes and galaxies started moving away from each other. But like, I know we were talking earlier about like, but why? But like, but why? <laughs> it's so, mm. it's so hard to get your head around. Well, my basic brain around such massive concepts. Do Man, ever, <laughs> bro. Do you ever get a yeah. bit like, oh my God, this is too much. Yeah, I do occasionally get a bit like dizzy and kind of spaced out by thinking about those things. I think I did a lot more when I was a kid, but yeah, no, I, I definitely do. If I sit there and think about that stuff too hard, then I could I start kind of getting yeah, like weird, here we are spinny, giving out about spinny feeling. Like, yeah, like men, like we're giving out about men or my delivery being not on time. Yeah, and like <laughs> sure, but I spend most of my time bitching about that stuff as well, right? I mean, so mm. that's just everyday life. Do you? Um, <laughs> Well, yeah, sure. I mean, well, I mean, obviously transferred over to the kind of things that are relevant in my life. Like, I, I suppose I don't spend a lot of my time moaning about when men, but I mean, sure, I like <laughs> talking about the opposite sex and emotions and, and what you feel like on a day-to-day basis and your delivery being late and whatever. I mean, that's, that's just like human. normal life, you know? That's just being a human, yeah. You can't think about, you know, the grand, great big questions all the time. I mean, that's no crack. No. No, I would get very upset. It's almost like yeah. you're a spatial philosopher. That's not a word, but you know, it's like... Do you mean these, space? Yeah, like like outer space. It's it's mine. My, my brain is boggled by this. If yeah. you could be anything else but a human, another species, what would you be? Oh, um, that's a good question. Thank you, Mark. <laughs> Uh, I don't know. I think I would have always, yeah, if it's like, what animal would you either be? I would maybe be a dolphin because they're Mark, really smart. Mark, I swear to, to God, that's mine. <laughs> yeah, it's a good answer, right? I mean, they're pretty sick. They obviously, they communicate. They probably have names. They enjoy having sex. Like, they do most of the things that are fun in, in human life as well. But they can also swim and, like, I don't know, they're just cool. And such supple skin. <laughs> <laughs> I can't, but what would yours be? Oh, I've had this debate. I'd like to be a lion, lioness. Oh, that's mm-hmm. a good one as well. Also a good choice. Apex predator. No one's going to fuck with you. Yeah, I'd love lions. Yeah. A movie that's that I just was lost on me is Interstellar because mm-hmm. I find anything to do with time impossible to understand. So... Mm-hmm. In the Earth's future, a global crop light and second dust bowl are slowly rendering the planet uninhabitable. Professor Brand, Michael Caine, a brilliant NASA physicist, much like yourself, (laughs) is working on plans to save mankind by transporting Earth's population to a new home via a wormhole. But first, Brand must send former NASA pilot Cooper, played by Matthew McConaughey, and a team of researchers through the wormhole across the galaxy to find out which of the three planets could be mankind's new home. So similar to what we were saying about Elon Musk and Mars. Mm. Have you seen it? Yeah, I've seen it. Um, oh, I so I actually, I, I actually loved Interstellar, or most of it. And the reason, partly the reason why I loved it, I mean, I quite like Christopher Nolan. I like Christopher Nolan um, in general. Mm. Um, his films are usually a bit out there, but they're quite fun. The cool thing about Interstellar is that they actually, they did a really, really good job of actually accurately portraying and explaining the physics of, Mm. um, yeah, of like 
time being bent by gravity and what that would mean um, for astronauts traveling near a black hole uh, and exploring some really interesting kind of consequences of that. And it was all scientifically very accurate and they didn't dumb it down for their audience. They actually tried to kind of explain it in a way that was mm. correct, but still accessible. So Interstellar actually is is a funny one because... One of the advisors for that film was a guy called Kip Thorne, who is a Nobel Prize winning gravitational physicist, um, like an expert in you know black holes and gravitational waves and all that stuff that we talked about. Um, so in that film, they actually have a depiction of a black hole. And that depiction of a black hole was actually created by a real physical simulation. Like that was actually, you know, physicists working out what a black hole would genuinely look like. But apparently um, I read that the, the result of that simulation, it looked so wild and so crazy that they actually had to tone it down for the film because they were just like, okay, audiences just aren't going to believe that this is realistic. So they had to actually basically make it look less kind of nuts than it really would have done. Um, so it's kind of the, yeah, it's the opposite of what people normally do in films. I mean, um, but they actually really tried to incorporate the real, the real kind of science behind those things. Um, but then there's a whole bit at the end where he kind of goes into the black hole and gets the quantum data and that that's all like, yeah, I mean, then then I got a bit lost. I mean, it was fun and everything, but that was all just a load of poppycock. With all I've learned... expression. Yeah. With all I've learned from our chat now, I feel like I'm better equipped to tackle that, kind of, that film. <laughs> mm. Yeah. I've yeah, because they have it. an example of the thing that I talked about, right? Where the, this, this thing where, you know, a couple of the people from the spaceship, they shoot off they go very near to the black hole and they go and visit some planet and then they come back, right? Um, and from their perspective, the only time that's passed has been maybe like a day or a few hours or something. And they get back on the ship and your man who is left there on the ship has like got this floor length beard and he's like going mad. And he's like, oh my God, you know, it's been 20 years. I've just been standing here on my own. So th that's an example of, you know, time travel into the future where they were able to use uh, in this case, the, the strong gravity of a black hole rather than the acceleration of traveling very fast, but it's the same thing. They were able to use that strong gravity and the time dilating effect to actually effectively travel forward into the future by about 20 years. When from their perspective, you know, it had been, you know, basically the blink of an eye, like a couple of hours. So um, wow. that's an example of that in a film, which in a Hollywood film, and it was kind of accurate, which is unusual. Yeah. Oh my. Wow. I've never seen it. Yeah, it's it's a lot, but it's really good and it's shot really well. It looks, it's so beautiful. Is it? But it's like a lot. As is Matthew McConaughey. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> indeed. What's I the... have one question to finish on. Mm -hmm. Who's your celeb crush? <laughs> <laughs> I always really fancied the woman from Dictionary Corner in on Countdown. I've forgotten what she's called. I follow her on Twitter. It's very called... niche, Mark. <laughs> it's very niche, I know. Well, well, what did you expect? Do you have any, like, mainstream ones? <laughs> I think everyone always fancies the countdown women. Yeah, well, but people usually fancy the maths one, right? But I like, I like the, word, the word one. She's cool. Mm. Uh, I don't know, mainstream ones. I mean, sure, I don't know. Jennifer Lawrence is hot. I mean, lo there's lots of beautiful celebrities, but I wouldn't necessarily say I really have that much of a crush on, on, on any of them. Mark, thank you. You've blown our minds. Thank you so much. This has been on a Friday, no less. Yeah, I hope no one smokes a joint listening to this because <laughs> you'd be in your own black hole. But yeah, okay. Well, thank you, Assistant cool. Professor Mark, Doctor Mark Mitchison from the Trinity College School of Physics. Thank you so much. You blew our minds. Quantum Lee. Thanks a lot. It was a pleasure. Thanks for having me on. Yeah. Cool. Oh my god. Quantum Lee spiritually. Physiologically, my mind's blown. Totally. <laughs> now, going into that, I did mm. not think I would feel this way after. No. Mark, just to, besides the whole space talk, mm -hmm. Mark as a human being mm -hmm. was just a delight. <laughs> I think we're just sitting here in awe. I am exhausted and but am I, I in love? Yeah, <laughs> but I, I'm exhausted like how one might feel after like a marathon. Like this, it's like a very like an educational tired that I just feel, so, I feel so enriched with knowledge and also blown away by what's going on around us. I feel so insignificant as a person. Do you? 
I think I think it puts stuff into perspective but then as Mark said he was like we're all human beings like he was like I still you know talk about like girls that are annoying annoying me and yeah stuff like that because I think anyone I have experience with who's really um has so much knowledge on something Mm. and is invested and super intelligent they're never they in my experience they've never been so like pleasant mm. at sharing the explanations to yes. stuff. He wasn't talking down to us. No, he wasn't. He was so um welcoming of all questions. He just wanted to share yeah. how amazing this planet is. Yeah, and solar system and galaxy oh. and universe and yeah, he did it in such a non condescending way. So thank you so much, Mark. We really oh, enjoyed it, Mark. And Mark is a listener. He is a listener. He's listened to a few. Mark said he learned a few bits. Yeah, a few life lessons and a few dating lessons. Yeah, so we were really sharing the knowledge across the board. <laughs> so thank you so much, Mark. It was a knowledge exchange. It, it was. <laughs> it was very 50-50. <gasps> We thought we'd go out with a big bang for that episode as we're taking our little summer holidays as from 30 for Living Pershing. We hope you guys have a great summer. We will be back in early we're summer. We're not coming back. Yeah? We're not coming back. Three. It's the end of this. I'm joking. Oh. <laughs> what grades do you tired to do on that? I was like, what do you mean? I was like, is she going along with it or is she getting upset? <laughs> getting upset but no we will be back in early september so we hope will we no, no. <laughs> uh, yeah have a great summer and uh, we've really enjoyed this roller coaster ride roller coaster around, around the universe yeah it's a pretty big one to go out on i suppose was a big bang i still a lot of it doesn't make sense to me <laughs> i know um but if you are a new listener please go back and listen to our old episodes while we're, we are away perfect time to catch up catch up maybe go back you could re-listen to some old ones i don't know and you could rate review and subscribe us keep us alive in the feeds also if you are a new listener where have you been yeah hello (laughs) like there's not that much to do in the grand scheme of things yeah there's loads of good episodes to go back and listen to this one is quite a new field maybe we'll become astrophysicists um, all right, well, goodbye and love you lots. And don't go changing. Have a wonderful summer, days. Yeah, I'll see you when you're all glistening and tanned in September. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello? Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. We'll be back to school. Oh. Okay, cheerio. Toodle bit. <laughs> <laughs>